0: To remind you in Revelation 15 it introduces the sort of the final revelation of God's wrath John said in verse 1 in chapter 15 I saw another sign in heaven great and marvelous seven angels having these seven last plagues for in them is filled up the wrath of God and so those angels in chapter 15 verse 7 were handed seven vials, the word there means bowls, literally seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God. And so chapter 16 reads, and I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast and upon them which worshipped his image. The second angel poured out his vial upon the sea and it became as the blood of, dead, of a dead man and every living soul died in the sea. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters say, you are righteous, O Lord, which is and was and shall be, because you have judged thus. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And I heard another out of, the alt, out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and the power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which has power over these plagues, and they repented not to give him glory. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast and his kingdom was full of darkness and they gnawed their tongues for pain and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented not of their deeds. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates and the water thereof was dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty." Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne of God, saying, It is done. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts. And the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give up her cup, uh, to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath, and every island fled away and the mountains were not found. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of hail, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. Now, some would argue that as we try to set Revelation chronologically that these judgments are actually going back in time and sort of re-examining or restating the previous judgments of God in the tribulation period, and there are similarities to those things that we've already seen in the seven seals and the seven trumpets, but these in chapter 16 are, are more intense. There are also some major differences, and one of those differences is that it specifies that what we're reading throughout chapters 15 and 16 are the last plagues, the final plagues. I think it's important to see this as kind of a, a continuation of the timeline, the end of the story, because of, of how the judgments of God and the continued rebellion of men has been developed. As the seven seals are opened, back in uh, earlier in Revelation... Uh, In chapter 6, mankind acknowledged as those seven seals were opened that what they were experiencing was coming from God. In Revelation 6, 15 through 17, it says, And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us. And hide us from the face of Him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of His wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Though they recognize God's wrath on sin and they want to escape that wrath, they do not repent of their sins. And so then, later as the seven trumpets are sounded, they still refuse to repent of their sin. In Revelation 9 Verses 20 and 21, it says, The rest of men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and the idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither see nor hear nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders, nor their sorceries, nor their fornications, nor their thefts. So if we sort of follow the trajectory of John's visions, we see this repeated emphasis that humanity recognizes the wrath of God and we also see a repeated emphasis on how that wrath might be avoided, right? God sends two witnesses in Revelation 11 but no one listens to them. God has protected a group of 144,000 faithful to proclaim his word in Revelation 14. There's even an angel in Revelation 14 verse 6 that flies through heaven declaring the everlasting gospel to them that dwell on the earth of every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment is come, and worship Him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. So what we've seen is that humanity recognizes the wrath of God. Humanity knows full well, the requirement to turn from sin and avoid that wrath, and instead of repenting and returning, mankind embraces wickedness, even to the point of worshiping the Antichrist, worshiping uh, obeying the false prophet. There is, by mankind as a whole, this total rejection of God, and so what is left except the pouring out of his ultimate, severe, final wrath? One one commentary notes this. It says, "The The monumental devastation and extent of these apocalyptic visitations of God's wrath, if taken literally, almost defy human imagination. In addition to the sheer scale of the catastrophe, there is the underlying theme of the origin of these events as belonging to God and his purposes. And that's right. John is clear in this presentation that this wrath is being poured out on the earth and it is the wrath of God prepared by God. And although it's happening through the means of these seven angels with seven golden bowls of wrath, it is delivered at the command of God. Verse one, I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, go your way and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. voice in the temple is belonging to the Lord of the temple. John may again be echoing the Old Testament descriptions of God's wrath in Isaiah 66. The prophet says he hears a voice from the temple which he describes as the voice of Yahweh that renders recompense to his enemies. That is, that fully repays his enemies. And so mankind has every reason to turn away from their sin because the gospel of Jesus Christ has been declared. Mankind has every reason to turn away from their sin because the judgment of God against sin is evident to them. And so when wicked mankind continues in his rebellion against God, the world will experience the, the wrath of God poured out in the form of these seven vials, these seven bowls of God's wrath. And so let's look at each of them in order briefly here. The first vial in verse 2. It says the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast and upon them which worshipped his image. The first vial of God's wrath brings sores on the wicked people of the world the sores are described as noisome and grievous that word noisome is a King James ism back 400 years ago this seldom used word meant disagreeable or it was even used for a foul odor without belaboring the point when you dig into these two words they're describing unsightly open sores that are both hideous to look at and agonizing to experience. It's describing untreatable, festering, ulcerated sores. Um, several years ago at, at summer camp, I was holding a question and answer session with a teen class, which is always just ripe for getting a fun question. And I, the question I got asked was, is it possible there's going to be a zombie apocalypse? I bet you didn't expect to hear zombie apocalypse from the pulpit today. But they even had a Bible verse to describe it. Back in Zechariah chapter 14 verse 12, it says, This shall be the plague with where, wherewith the Lord will smite all people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand on their feet, and their eyes shall consume away in their holes, and their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. Right? What the prophet Zechariah saw, I think, is a description of what John is describing here in our text with the first vial of God's wrath. And it is worse than anything you've seen on TV or read in a graphic novel. These people would wish that they were walking around dead. But instead, much like God did in Egypt, he does here again. There are these festering, ulcerated sores covering the body of all those who worshiped the antichrist and took his mark and then more egypt-like plagues follow the second vial in verse three the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea and it became as the blood of a dead man and every living soul died in the sea you know when Pharaoh refused to release the Hebrew captives in Exodus. Yahweh used Moses to turn the rivers of waters and in Egypt into blood. There's something more miraculous than merely an area of the Nile River looking red. The, the question our text poses this morning is, well, is this literal blood or is this just something that looks like that? And I can't say for sure. The description is that it is like the blood of a dead man, and that is pretty specific. The idea, I think, isn't just that it's red liquid, but it, that it is congealed, it's thickening, it's darkening, it's something like you would see at a murder scene. At the same time, I won't be adamant that this is literal blood because the text says it became as the blood of a dead man, or John's saying, well, it's, it's something like that, and there is this phenomenon called a red tide, which happens along coastlines. Uh, around, it especially happens in Florida. A certain type of algae blooms and overgrows, and it releases toxins that kill the fish, and it produces a literal red tide. This happened in Florida in 1949. Actually, the most ser- the most recent serious one happened in 2005. So whether this is literal blood or something that looks like blood, the scope of the devastation is is evident. This is not some single localized event like a red tide. John says every living soul in the sea, or more literally, every living creature in the sea dies. The third vial in verse 4, the third angel Poured out his vial upon the waters, upon the rivers and fountains of waters, and they became blood. What happened in the oceans with the second vial of wrath now happens to the rivers and lakes and streams in the third vial of wrath. And for what it's worth to you, this time John just says they became blood. Although the context would tell us that what they became was the same as whatever happened to the seas in the second vial the biggest difference with the third vial of wrath is that it comes with some rationale of why this is a fitting judgment of God. Unlike the first two, which don't have this explanation, the third vial, starting at verse 5, I heard the angel of the water say, you are righteous, O Lord, which is and was and shall be, because you have judged thus. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. So the angel of the waters, or maybe the angel who controls the waters, declares God to be righteous for this wrath. Declares God to be the timeless everlasting God who has executed this judgment. And in verse 7 there is this echoed agreement from heaven that this is just. It is righteous. Right? Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. There's no debate about whether the wrath of God is fitting. Whether it is suitable. Whether or not it is right. It is. Between those two assurances in verse 5 and verse 7 that God is righteous in His wrath, there is rationale for why this wrath is suitable. In verse 6, the explanation is that the wicked world, rejecting God and following the Antichrist and the false prophet, have shed the blood of saints and prophets so God has given them blood to drink, it says, for they are worthy. You've heard that word before. Back in Revelation 4, verse 11, who is worthy to open the scrolls of uh, the seals of God's scroll, and it is only the Lamb, Jesus Christ, who is worthy. That's a way of saying that only the Lamb deserves that. But worthy doesn't have to mean worthy of something good, it can mean quite the opposite. In this case, the unimaginable devastation that's brought with these vials of wrath, the world is deemed worthy of it. The ESV does well here when it translates this, it is what they deserve. Now if you follow the progress, you'll note the judgments of God are clearly purposeful in the way that they develop. You would think with the first vial that causes those you know, ulcerated festering sores that that what might bring a little bit of relief is water, but now there's no water in the ocean and there's no freshwater sources either. Nobody's going to be able to turn on their tap or, or draw up water from their well. Everything is contaminated and poisoned. And so there's no way to treat those festering sores because the water's not usable. And now without water, The Lord's next judgment is going to be to provide scorching heat over all the earth. The fourth vial, verse 8 and 9. The fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire and men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God which has power over these plagues and they repented not to give him glory. This liquid is poured out from the fourth bowl of God's wrath onto the sun. And it doesn't extinguish the sun, it inflames it further. By the way, back at the beginning I said that some see these vials of wrath as going back and repeating or restating previous judgments, but this fourth vial tells us otherwise. There are judgments prior to this that we've read that has to do with the sun. Like in Revelation 8.12, the sun was darkened. In Revelation 7.16, it says the sun wouldn't shine and provide heat. But now the heat of the sun is actually intensified. So the water sources are taken away and now there is no relief to be found from this scorching heat. Note though, the different reactions to God's wrath, right? In heaven, back in verses 5 and 7, there was this repeated declaration about the righteousness of God. This wrath is just. It's true and righteous justice. But on earth, those who are experiencing God's wrath, say in verse 9, the men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God which has power over these plagues. and They repented not to give him glory. So now think of this. These are not atheists we're talking about. Covered with festering sores, the world's water having been turned to blood, the sun scorching them with heat, there is no room for them to deny that the the existence of their creator. There's there's no denying his power. There's no denying his declaration of wrath on sin. And yet, knowing this, they will not repent of their sins. They will not turn to him for mercy. If you imagine God's wrath being so great that these poor souls on earth are sorry for what they've done, then you have a distorted view of human depravity. Humanity, even in the face of this judgment, uses what little breath they have to curse God. The fifth vial, verses 10 and 11, the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain, and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and repented not of their deeds. Now, maybe it's just me being imaginative, but when you combine the fourth and fifth vials sort of in sequence, it seems to describe an astrological phenomenon we'd call a flame out, right? Not to put supernatural judgments of God into natural terms, but there are times where we have basically seen stars intensify immediately before burning out, before extinguishing. Maybe that's what the Lord does with the sun here. In the fourth vial, the sun intensifies. In the fifth vial, there's just darkness. This is playing out according to the prophetic promises of God. Zephaniah said the day of the Lord would be a day of darkness and gloominess and a day of clouds and thick darkness. And Jesus and Matthew 24 said immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give her light. But look, it is interesting that this fifth angel doesn't pour out its bowl of wrath on the sun. That's what the fourth angel did. Poured out that bowl on the sun and the sun intensifies. This fifth angel, it says, pours out the bowl of wrath upon the seat of the beast the word seat there is the greek word thronos it's throne right and it's evident that's exactly what john means because the effect is that this wrath is poured out on the throne of the beast the antichrist and the effect is that his kingdom it says is full of darkness so the antichrist who has established rule over the world, and the wicked world who follows him as his subjects, they're all going to experience darkness. The Antichrist who rules this world through the power of Satan does not have control. He has the illusion of control. Because when the Lord God Almighty determines he's going to assert his own control over the earth. The false prophet and the Antichrist and even Satan himself is powerless to intervene. God, in his sovereignty, turns out the lights on their kingdom with no more effort than flipping a light switch. And the unrighteous reaction to the righteous wrath of God is that verse 10, the end of verse 10, they will gnaw their tongues in pain. Literally, that is, they will keep on chewing their tongues, and the only time they stop seems to be, verse 11, so that they can use those tongues to blaspheme the God of heaven because of their pain and sores. Even then, they won't use their mouths for repentance. The sixth vial Starting at verse 12, the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates and the water thereof was dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. A little bit of history might be helpful here. Back in Old Testament times, during the lifetime of Daniel, the Babylonian Empire sort of held sway over the biblical map, what we think of as the known world, the the biblical world. The king of the Babylonian Empire sat on the throne in the city of Babylon, the Euphrates River, ran through that city, right? Although the city was surrounded by walls, so the walls came down to meet the top of the uh, the Euphrates River as it flowed through the city of Babylon. King Cyrus of the Medo-Persian army put Babylon under siege. It wasn't hard to surround the city of Babylon. It was just hard to do anything after you did that because he couldn't get over the high walls. He couldn't starve them out because they had this flow of water and, and and. provisions for life coming through the river and so what cyrus did was he ingeniously decided he was going to dam up the euphrates river upstream of babylon and it caused the water level to drop and his army could march under the wall and into the city and conquer babylon now in verse 12 The description is that this angel pours out the sixth vial of wrath on the Euphrates River and the water is dried up so that the way of kings is prepared. The way of the kings of the east is prepared. So John's essentially saying to his first century readers, history is going to repeat itself in a way. And very soon when when the city falls the declaration, we've already heard back in chapter 14, verse 8, right? Babylon is fallen. So we'll see more about, well, what is John talking about with Babylon? Is it literally the city of Babylon or is it mystery Babylon, as he put it? Something else? But there's a, a parallel description there. And verses 13 and 14 describes evil spirits, demons being sent out by what we've called the unholy trinity of Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet. John describes them as frogs. Here's where I'm supposed to tell you why they're described as frogs. Because because frogs are unclean animals. Maybe it's because they're slimy and cold-blooded. Maybe it's because they're creepy little things, or maybe it's for a reason we don't know, right? He just says that they're unclean animals spirits like frogs but what they do is work miracles he says which should be adequate evidence that not every miracle is a miracle from god their their goal is to gather the kings of the earth verse 14 says to gather them to the battle of the great day of god almighty but now think of this who do these armies of the earth think that they're gathering to fight. Well, based on where they end up, it seems likely that they intend to fight against the city of Jerusalem and the people of God. But you can see the sovereignty of God in this. Even as these evil spirits go out to gather these armies, the angel sent by God has made it easy, right? He's prepared the way so they can just march over the Euphrates River. They can come to where it is they want to come. The pathway is prepared by God, and even the enemies of God ultimately are made to serve His sovereign purpose. They gather to fight against Him, but He's gathering them for their destruction. They're being gathered, verse 16, to... Armageddon right the great final battle is being prepared and we'll we'll talk more about that later in Revelation but in the middle of all of this you know, almost, almost like it's coming out of nowhere you've got red letters in the middle of chapter 16 right there is essentially a beatitude inserted in verse 15. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. It is evident from what's being said that this is the Lord Jesus talking. Many times the language, I come as a thief, is used to emphasize sort of the sudden, the surprise coming Of the Lord Jesus, Jesus himself uses it in the Gospels. And again, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 3, the Apostle Paul uses it in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 2, when he tells the church, you know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. But don't miss the fact that a couple of verses after that, he also says, but you are not in darkness that the day should overtake you as a thief. It is always used in order to encourage this sort of watchful obedience to the Lord. And that's what's happening here again. This final battle is coming. God's people need to be prepared. Not so much prepared to be removed from it, but for participating in it. When the battle comes... Look, it's, it's, a, it's a soldier's uniform that declares what side they're on. I think that's what Jesus is meaning when he says, keep your garments, keep your clothes while you watch. God's people, it would be shameful for them to be caught out of uniform. And then the seventh vial comes in verse 17 through 21. The seventh angel poured out his vial into the air. And there came a, came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It is done. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings. And there was a great earthquake such as was not since men were upon the earth. So mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts. And the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, and the plague thereof was exceeding great. This seventh angel empties the vial of God's wrath the beginning of verse 17, it says, into the air. Now, if you follow what John's seen here, right? He's seen vials of wrath poured out on the earth, on the sea, on the fresh waters, on the sun, on the dominion of the Antichrist. And now the air is all that's left and the air is not going to be left out. He pours out his wrath into the air. And while it's, it's tempting, at the end of verse 17, to see this, it is done, right? We want to equate that with another famous saying in Scripture where Jesus said, it is finished. These are different words, right? On the cross, Jesus was saying the, the suffering was was complete. The total payment for the, the debt of sin had been paid. But this, it is done, simply means it has taken place, right? These angels were sent to pour out the bowls of God's wrath, and having poured out the last one, there is a voice saying it's it's taken place. They've all been poured out. And the result of this fifth vial is something like a devastating thunderstorm. I think that's what's intended by John saying "There's there's voices or sounds and thunders and lightning since this bowl was poured out into the air. But the, the devastation isn't limited to the errors. Verse 18 says there is this cataclysmic earthquake unprecedented in human history. Never before has the earth shaken like this. It is so severe. Verse 20 says every island is destroyed. You can't see the world's mountain ranges anymore, right? Mount Everest is felled and flattened. The great city... Is split into three parts. That I think is most likely the city of Jerusalem. Although I think if that's the case, it's not the idea that Jerusalem is being judged. We'll pick up in future weeks and see that the, the ultimate return of the Lord Jesus, the Mount of Olives, directly facing Mount Zion, where Jerusalem is built. The Mount of Olives splits into. It creates these three peaks and God has a plan for the valley that's created between those three peaks. So this isn't the great city is being judged. I think it's the great city of Jerusalem and it's being changed. But the only other city that it could be in context would be Babylon. And when we keep reading in verse 19, we see the cities of the nations fall. That is this earthquake causes them to collapse and great Babylon is going to be made to drink the cup of God's fierce wrath. Along with the earthquake is unimaginable hail. Remember this seventh vial starts being poured out into the air in a a storm. Worldwide storm drops hailstones, John says, about a weight of a talent, or in modern terms, about 100 pounds each. All right, so I went to the gas station this morning and got the ice for the fellowship meal this afternoon. I got the big bag of ice, right? 20 pounds. Imagine five of those as hailstones falling all over the world. They rain down on the wicked people of the world. And because of the earthquakes happening, it's not like they can run inside somewhere and take shelter. And of course, at this point, the people of the earth decide to repent at last, right? The end of verse 21, men blasphemed God because of the plague of hail and the plague thereof was exceeding great. God's justice and wrath is true and righteous and the wicked men and women of this world prove themselves deserving, worthy of that wrath because even in the face of sin's consequences they curse God and will not be swayed from their sin. So Revelation 16 teaches there's the, the day of judgment is coming when the Lord God Almighty will pour out his wrath in righteousness on the people of this world who have chosen rebellion over repentance, right? They would, they would rather blaspheme than believe. And these seven vials or bowls of God's wrath, as terrible as they are, when you read Revelation 16 and you imagine the people experiencing this, Like say one gets crushed under one of those hailstones. All that that does is usher those people into the eternity where they are going to face the fierceness of his wrath forever, right? Some die of the the poisoned water or the scorching heat only to open their eyes in the, the torments of hell's fire. They're crushed by a hundred pound hailstone and awakened under the crushing weight of eternal judgments. The only escape from the wrath of God is to repent of your sins and trust the Son of God because He came to endure God's wrath on the cross for all those who believe in Him. The wrath of God in its fullness has already been satisfied. Every drop of God's wrath on the believer was poured out not on the earth and the sea and the sun and the air for us. It was poured out on Jesus Christ on the cross. And to escape God's wrath, you must be in Jesus